Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. When does one, Miss Amy, I'm holding up a bottle of pop. When does one become four? Miss Amy, I'm holding up a pack of four bottles of pop of the same kind. Okay. When does one become four? So I'm looking into my fridge a few weeks ago, and I felt the Lord say to me, see that bottle of ginger beer, your favorite ginger beer, the expensive one. I'd like you to take it to church and give it to somebody. And I'm like, yeah, I can do that. It's, it's my last bottle of ginger beer. <laughs> so I, I pulled out the ginger beer and I took it off to church. I put it in a little freezer box with some ice around it because I wanted this person to have the full experience. And uh, I went to church and I said, Brian Rackley, I said to Brian Rackley, the Lord asked me to bring you this ginger beer. He loves ginger beer. And I gave him the, 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 the uh, igloo, little igloo freezer box thing. He took it out and he said, oh, this is awesome stuff. And I thought, well, that was good. I felt great. I'd given away my one bottle of expensive champagne. <laughs> this is the champagne of ginger beer. You're all trying to recognize the name, Bundaberg. It's out of Publix. And how many of you know you have to save up to go to Publix? <laughs> okay, so we saved up. Well, as I handed him his one ginger beer, I walked away. This was at Lakeshore Tiger Cave. And got to the top where the, the lobby is, and somebody said to me, are you going to the car? Your car? I said, yes, I'm going to my car. I said, and they said, can I walk down with you to your car? I said, you can walk down with me to my car. You know, so we're walking down the steps to my car. And I open my car door. This person op- opens the trunk of their car, reach into the trunk of their car, and said to me, I was at the store, and the Lord told me to buy you some ginger beer. <laughs> How about that? When does one become four, I ask you? When does one become four? Okay, so now you're understanding what that illustration was. <laughs> I want to ask you a question this morning. When does seven become 12? When does seven become 12? I'm asking about a Bible story, a biblical story. Perhaps it will be easier if I say five and two, which makes seven. When do five and two, which makes seven, become 12? Come on, you're a Bible teacher. Five rolls, five rolls, five pieces of bread and two fish. I want to show you from the scriptures how five becomes 12. So we're in Matthew 14. I know I'm already doing it in reverse. I don't know what happened there, but... The Lord's taking me in reverse. How many of you know that sometimes we're meant to go against the flow? Yes, go against the flow. That's the, one of the true distinctives. Did you see that sweat top that came out of the 90s where there's all, this, all these fish singing, swimming that way and there's one tiny fish swimming that way against the flow? Yeah. One of these days we will disengage ourselves from our culture and decide to swim against the flow. Sorry, that was the John the Baptist. I don't know what happened. It just came out of me. Okay, all right. When do we swim against the flow? When we disengage ourselves from our culture that we love so much. Okay, so here we are then. So we're in Matthew 14. Let's read this story. I'm glad Kelsey's here this morning. I thought I was... uh, 
had something to say to her from the Lord. Now you're going to be listening. <laughs> okay, we're in Matthew 14, and it's verse 13. Now, when Jesus heard this, that his cousin John the Baptist had been executed, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we only have five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and take in the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave, to them, gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces that were left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So I'm going to be asking you the same question over and over again. When does one become four? When does seven become 12? We're going to come back and look at that. Can I ask you another question? When does a small amount of clothing in one person's hands <laughs> okay. and you can see the small piece there's two more over here and then there's two more on the floor over here do you see them when does a small amount of clothing become a lot more clothing <laughs> in one person's hands so my wife came into the house a few days ago and she's she's in her clothing closet which is not a big clothing closet. It's about the size of a coffin. So we actually can't get both of us in there. We went to visit some friends once, and they said, well, we have four bedrooms and three bathrooms. And so we're, they're showing us around the house. And I'm counting the bedrooms. One, two, three, four, five. We're in a fifth bedroom. You know where I'm headed with this, right? So I said to her, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said you had four bedrooms. She said, I do. This is my clothing closet. We'd actually walked into her clothing closet. You know, you could have had a king-sized bed in there or something like that. So our clothing closet is not like that, is it, darling? So she doesn't have a lot of clothes, and she doesn't care much about stuff. And so uh, she's sorting out through her clothes. She's taking out a pair of jeans and a couple of T-shirts and then a blouse. and Actually, two pairs of jeans. That's my favorite jeans you have there. And I said, what are you doing? She said, well, I heard about this lady... She's come, she was on, living on the streets in Lakeshore of put her in Matthew Tillery's house that he's building. And she doesn't have a lot of clothes, and so I'm going to give her some of mine. And I'm looking and I'm thinking, darling, you have like six, seven outfits that you rotate. And I really like that blouse. I like you in that blouse. But it doesn't matter. She's picking away the clothing. Well, that's the, what she took out. A couple of days later, I'm at my work. I work for a dry cleaners, and my boss said to me, Dean, will you help me? I've got so many 
unclaimed clothes that I need to, she said, get rid of, but I like to call it repurpose. I call it repurpose. I'm in the repurposing business. <laughs> Would you get, and she gave me probably 120 items, all dry cleaned on a rack. Now, my work's required to keep them for 90 days. We keep them for a year, just in case you're worried about any of these people. We've actually had people come to my workplace and say, oh, yeah, I dropped off my suit here two years ago. Uh, could I have it, please? You know, we're a dry cleaning empire that deals with like 10,000 units a week. And literally, my boss once had a room this size full of unclaimed things, clothing. So when does a small amount of clothing become a great amount of clothing? It's when you entrust yourself to the Lord and you're, you're not looking at your, the lack. You know, in that story, they might have said, uh, well, this is all we have. This is all we have and uh, send them away. It's going to be nighttime soon and we're going to feel pressured to provide for them. So don't bring, don't bring a man's solution. Uh, I want to ask you another question. I'm coming back to these scriptures, by the way. <laughs> when does... Oh, I, it's the magic uh, crock pot. When does the crock pot, with $20 in it... See the crock pot? Uh, mm. <laughs> Miss Amy, I'm lifting up the crock pot. Had twenty dollars in it. Okay. When does the crock pot become the crock pot with nine hundred dollars in it? Okay, we started off with twenty dollars in this crock pot. My wife said to me she she'd been helping her friend clean some houses and they pay her cash and they're generous to her. She came home that first week and she put her money on the table under the fruit bowl when it was like 20, 20 40 $60. I said, she said, can I give this away? She does work five and a half hours, pouring in sweat. Can I give this away? I said, I said couldn't, and I'm sorry, I'm the guy in this story that says, you know, we don't have enough. So you'll work out who I am whilst I work out who you are. Okay. I said, babe, we don't have a lot. We live in a thousand square feet mill house that we've been renting for 17 years and bought it twice now for our uh, landlord. <laughs> and he loves us so much. He said, don't ever leave. You're the best tenants I ever had. I'm like, I'm getting old. One day I'm going to be 90 years old at Walmart saying, welcome, goodbye, welcome, <laughs> goodbye. You know, he won't let us leave. He won't let us leave. So we're in this tiny house. We don't have much. In the 17 years that we've been in America, we have never earned more than the poverty line, what the government says is the poverty scale, $28,500. $28,500. In 17 years, we've never exceeded that. But I have to tell you, we have a saying in my house. I have a saying. I live like a king. I absolutely live like a king because I live according to God's economy. See, how many of you know that there's a kingdom economy? Okay, there's a God's economy. And we're going to talk in a moment about the upside-down kingdom. What time did I start? It's 10.40. Would we say I started at... 1039. <laughs> 10.30. I really am aiming for 45 minutes. Uh, or am I? So when does a small amount of clothes become a great amount of clothes? When you are offering your lack to the Lord who has everything. And uh, there's a miracle that takes place in your heart. And we're going to be talking about that miracle that takes place in your heart when you can give from your tiny amount and see the Lord make it abundant. 
Okay, so let me ask you another question. We were on the, the crock pot, weren't we? So the crock pot is, that went from $20 because every week my wife comes home, she says, can I give this away? Can I give this away? And I'm like, could we please benefit from some of your hard work? You know, I'd love a lawnmower. So I haven't told you about that yet. I've been praying about a lawnmower from the magic crock pot. Come on, how many have a crock pot in your kitchen with $900 in it? So that's over th some months. So we don't have a lot, and I keep looking at that and think I'd love a lawnmower or something, but Fiona keeps saying, can I give it away? So we give it away. That's what's left from what we give away. So think how much it was, okay? The Lord's entrusting us with stuff. I was brooding a few months ago when it was pastor's appreciation. I was brooding like John the Baptist might brood. You know, I was like, oh, okay, where am I at? What's going on in my life? I've been through seminary like all of these fine people. I have the qualifications, so-called. Your qualifications come from God, right? And so I was brooding for a while, and pastor was talking about gifts, and people were, give your gift cards to your pastors and show them how much you love them. And I love my pastors. I love Pastor Gill. I love all of our pastors. My big thing right now is the fivefold ministry and how there are other ministries in the church that are equally important to the pastorate. And so that's where I'm at right now, looking at the fivefold ministry, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. He gave to the church apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. Alrighty? I think I just took a little rabbit trail, Scotty. And so... I want to talk to you about the crock pot. Then we've talked about that. Look, there's more, there's more, there's more. <laughs> Let's look at a little story here. It's a small story. It's about four verses. And it's in 2 Kings. It's that story. Is it 2 Kings 4, 42? Yeah? I'm just guessing. Thank you. Okay, so here's a story. It's Elisha, the prophet. He's wants to feed his school of prophets. How many of you know this? 700 years before the Lord Jesus, there was a school of prophets. And Elisha wants to feed them. And Elijah wants to feed them. So we're talking about the upside-down kingdom, and we're talking about God's economy. Because I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to read from three stories of feeding the 5,000, this short story here. Thank you. And lastly, we'll be looking at uh, a widow and her wonder loaf. All right, so here we are. Let's read this story together. 2 Kings 4. One day, a man arrived from Bahal Shalisha. Shalisha. He brought the man of God 20 loaves of fresh baked bread from the early harvest, along with a few apples from the orchard. Elisha said, pass it, around, pass it around the people to eat. His servant said, for a hundred men? There's not nearly enough. <laughs> Sound familiar? Elisha said, just go ahead and do it. God says there's plenty. And sure enough, there was. He passed around what he had. They not only ate, but had leftovers. Alrighty, so 
we're going to, I'm going to ask you a few questions about these three stories. There's one more story to come. So, I was... Uh, <laughs> this is our missionary guy, Joe. What we tend to do through the year is we just put coins in it, dollar bills, $5 bills. Sometimes we put $20 bills in there, which we should probably do right now. Been a while. I don't want this to be gimmicky because I'm going to hit you with some spiritual truths in a minute, okay? So I don't know how much that is. But this is our missionary draw, and what we tend to do is give it to our missionaries. Here you are, sweetheart. Okay. okay. So we're handing that to uh, Kelsey because she's our missionary in Kenya. All right? And that's for you this year. What that is, it's, it's generous, but what it is, is it's, it's a prophetic sign of how through all of her life she will know a jar that never runs short of the Lord's provision. Okay, when she's ministering in his name, I feel the Lord like, like the Lord is saying, ask him for her nation. Some people get to ask for a city. Some people get to ask for a neighborhood. Some people get to ask for a nation. I don't know what nation that is, but he's asking you to ask him for a nation. And he wants you to be married to that nation. He wants you to be married to him. The Bible says, uh, our maker is our husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. He's called the Lord of all the earth. So there's a very real sense in which we're all married to Jesus, right? You know there's a wedding coming, right? If you open the book of Revelation 19, 20, 21, there's a wedding coming. And Jesus is coming for his bride, okay? So he wants you to be married to a nation, married to the Lord. And yes, there's another kind of marriage that one day you will ask him about. Okay, and he knows about all about that already. Um, so what I'm going to say to you now is let's do this last last story then the next story is and i'm going to ask you what's these three stories have in common we're in one kings 17 thank you <laughs> one Kings 17 verse 8 this is elijah about 50 years before elisha then the word of the lord came to him saying arise and go to zarephath which belongs to sidon and stay there behold i have commanded a widow there to provide for you so he set out and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks for firewood. He called out to her and said, please bring me a little water in a jar so that I may drink. As she was going to get it, he called out to her and said, please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. She said, as the Lord your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. See, I am gathering a few sticks so that I may go in and bake, bake it for my son that we may eat it as our last meal and die. Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. Just make me a little bread from it first and bring it out to me. And afterwards you may make one for yourself and one for your son. For this is what the Lord God of Israel says. The bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain again on the face of the earth. She went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her, look at that, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty in accordance to 
the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. Okay, so I hope you're already looking at the correlations and the similarities between those three stories. We've looked at examples of the Lord multiplying that which is broken. How many know that the issue is not with multiplying, the issue is with being broken? <laughs> you know, uh, I keep asking the Lord where I am in that uh, feeding the 5,000 story. I mean, you know you're in there, right? You know you're in that story. That's why you all sit up and you listen to every word of the story from the Bible, because you're in there. You're in that story. And the Lord wants to shift you from one place in that story to another place in that story. So we'll talk about the, the loaves, the, the five loaves, the two fish, when, do, when does seven become twelve? And I want to tell you it's about the upside down kingdom. I sure wish the church would stop trying to turn the church the right way up, right? Because the church is an upside down kingdom. And I'm going to show that to you right now. The first example is from the story we just read. How is that an upside down kingdom? Even Jesus said in Luke 4, he was talking to the crowd, explaining who he was, and they were like, well, we know who you are. You're like uh, Joseph's son, familiarity. You're like Joseph's son, and you came from Nazareth. And so they're, they're, they're struggling with their natural mindset. He says, listen, he says to them, there was a time when Elijah walked on this earth. There were many widows in the nation of Israel. You know this verse? There were many widows in the nation of Israel, but God sent him to a widow in Zarephath. And he's trying to say to them, look, the kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. I, I, I'm convinced that our, pro, our challenges in the church are not about the, necessarily the carnal mind. We, we, nobody, nobody justifies the carnal mind. Nobody wants to say, well, it's right for me to hate that person over there and I wish I could burn their house down. I mean, nobody's going to argue about that. That's carnal. I think much of our challenge in the kingdom of God is doing things with a natural mind. Just a natural mind that's based on so-called reasoning and so-called rationalizing. Well, let's do it this way. And rather than saying, Lord, what does the upside-down kingdom say? See, that's, that's wisdom, Scotty. See, when we're willing to get on our knees and say, Lord, give me your strategy for the upside-down kingdom. And it's only upside-down, which is the right way, by the way, because we, with our natural mind and our carnal mind, consider it to be an upside-down kingdom. How many of you know if you're sat in a boat on an ocean and you're terrified because you're, you're about to die, that it's not the rational mind to swing your leg over the boat and walk on the water to your savior? Okay, your natural mind will say, I'm not swinging my leg over the side of the boat. But Jesus says it's an upside down kingdom. And it's really important to us that we see in this story the upside down kingdom. It's, the upside down kingdom is God sending a giant to defeat a boy. Does that story, does that ring a bell? Let me ask you a question. You're, a, you're like a military strategist. There's a giant out there on the hillside. You've got the thousands of your own army quaking in their boots. There's a little boy over there that's making his way down the lane with, with sandwiches for his brother. Oh, there's bread in there. I never thought about it. With bread and sandwiches for his brother. And they're terrified to fight this giant called Goliath when they have their own giant. I mean, you know Israel had their own giant that day, right? Do you remember what, the first thing that you read about King Saul? 
It says of King Saul, the king of Israel at that time, he was head and shoulders taller than anybody in Israel. They had their own giant. So, but here's the upside down kingdom. God sends a boy to defeat a giant. Now, if it had been left to us, and of course, King Saul on that day says, put on my armor. And he tries to clothe this little shepherd boy in his fancy armor. And David's like, I can't fight a giant in this stuff. You know, that's the natural mindset of the church. Trying to turn the upside down kingdom back up the right way as they determine it with, determine it with their natural mind. Would you send a boy to defeat a giant? Come on now. You've got your own giant. Say you've got a giant and he's like your friend. And there's a giant out there waiting to get you when you go out there. And you've got a little boy on this side. I'm telling you that most of us would send our giant friend out. It's an upside down kingdom. Lord forgive us for the times that we act with our, of course with our carnal mind. But even our natural mind. Hey bud you're a giant. There's a giant out there waiting for you. We, God sends a boy to defeat a giant, and he still sends a boy to defeat a giant. And here's the thing, we have to look at it. The enemy wants to mock us and say, you're just a boy. When we look at we might be tempted to look at where we're at and who we are and how long we've been laboring and how long we've been sowing. It's the enemy's trick to get you to want to send a giant to fight a giant. Rather than you say, yeah, you know what? In, in terms of spiritual things, we might be, be perceived as a boy, but we're a boy with a stone in our pocket in a sling that says, you come against me with all your fine armor and your bragging and boasting, I come against you with a stone that I'm going to throw against you in the name of the God of Israel, the living God of Israel. You see, and that's who we are. That's when a little goes a long way. Did we call this one a little goes a long way? I think we called this one a little goes a long way. And we're looking at these three examples. We're looking at these three examples and the correlations. And the first correlation we see is that it's an upside down kingdom. <laughs> when you need a drink quickly and the water bottle turns 93 times before the lid comes up. We're looking at these three stories, and we're looking at the correlations in the three stories, okay? The first one I saw was is that it's an upside-down kingdom. You say, well, what's an upside-down kingdom about the, the friend that came from Baal Shalulashash? Oh, my gosh, I knew this moment would come. I've been found out. What's an upside-down kingdom about that? Baal Shalishah. There we go. He came from a city that would get, was given over to idol worship. Do you know how we know that? Because Baal is not God's name. Okay? So you have these prophets out in the wilderness. Elisha is training them. They're mentioned 12 times in 1 and 2 Kings and can be traced back to Samuel, the first prophet. He established this school of the prophets. And they had six centers, six centers. And Elisha would travel around them, train them, and then send them out to the nation. Because Back then, you see, the prophetic voice was really important back then. Just like the prophetic voice is really important today. Like Peter said when he stood up in, uh, and said to the, on the day of Pentecost, he said, uh, in these last days. And he gave this long list of people that would prophesy. Okay, in, this, in the last days, where is the prophetic voice? This is what we, we're seeking in the heart of God, the prophetic voice of God. 
So the upside down quick kingdom is the weak becoming strong, the poor becoming rich, the last being first. Everything that's kind of contrary to the church mind. God help us to, to you know, minister an upside down kingdom. Um, put those scriptures up, and I won't preach any more on this, this upside down kingdom, because I think these scriptures, 1 Corinthians 1, 25... 1 Corinthians 1.18, that'll do, no, that'll do, that was, the, that was my, when I changed my mind. Okay, so we're going to read these scriptures, and this is the Apostle Paul telling the church at Corinth what the upside down kingdom is like, okay? Because he's writing about what Jesus is attempting to do in these three stories. He's attempting to move people from this position of, we don't have enough, we're so small, will never amount to much. He's trying to shift people over to the person in this, each of the stories that says it will happen according to the word of the Lord. So where are you in this story? Because you're in it. You're in all of these stories. And you should be asking the Lord, Lord, where am I in this story? And where do you want me to, to move me from and to move me to? Because this is more than an outside miracle. These are more than just outside miracles, Jesus feeding your body. This is about a miraculous event in your heart when you go two and two make four. Oh, it's a heart thing. All of these stories are about a heart issue. They're about shifting your heart from saying, we can't do it, we don't have enough, we're too small, we'll never amount to nothing. Do you see it in all three of the stories? In all those stories, I don't have enough. Have you seen my resources? I would say to you, have you seen his resources? Or more importantly, have you seen him recently? More importantly. Because we're going to talk about that. We don't, we don't essentially come to him for resources, do we? I've been asking the Lord when I pray, because I've been praying, Lord, show me your heart. Show me your face. Show me your hand. And I think they're, they, they, they're indicative of different elements. But Lord, show me. And I've been praying, Lord, show me. Your heart, show me your face, show me your hand. Right? Show me your hand is, Lord, I want to see you act in my world around me. But show me your heart transcends that. You, 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 you seek the heart of the Lord, and those other things, like this sounds biblical, doesn't it, Scotty? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all other things will be added unto you. So we're talking about those scriptures. Yeah, get them back up again then. You know I'm broken, right? You know, I'm only useful to God because I'm broken. Do you, want, do, you, do, you, do you want me to do this perfectly? Do you know when I was at college, Scotty, can you believe this, in seminary, homiletics and hermeneutics. Do you remember those Greek words? Yeah, yeah. That's the last time I used them was 30 years ago as well. Yeah. Right? Homiletics, hermeneutics. Homiletics, the art of public speech. Hermeneutics, the science of biblical interpretation. There was, I was in a class of 56 and only two people got an A from John Lancaster, England's most eminent preacher, still alive in his 90s. Bless him, bless him, Lord. Oh, yeah, bless him. Well, if I was to say, I know one of those people well, of the two, of the two people of the 56, who received an A from John Lancaster, England's most eminent preacher. <laughs> I just want to say, so what a mess. What a mess I am. If you could see my notes, it looks like somebody's taken a daddy long leg. Do you have daddy long legs over here? A spider with like 12 dangly legs. Dipped it in ink and said, run around on that paper. 
This is, this is what I'm seeing when I look down here. But I know what? I see other stuff. I know that Eric wears a robe of favor. I can look at Eric on the, on the, near the back row there and know that he's wearing a robe of many colors. Bring the best robe, put it on my son. And I know that it's a robe that talks about identity and calling and favor. And in an ordinary life so called as a truck driver, you might go around in a uniform when you drive your truck, but you always wear a robe of favor that identifies your identity, your calling, and your favor. In the spirit realms, they say, here comes that guy with a jazzy robe. This is what they say in the spirit realms, Eric, when you walk around in your prayer language and you're praying on your knees and you're crying out for your family. They say, here comes that man who wears the robe of favor. Here comes the man who wears the robe of authority and identity and calling. We're getting there, folks. And I, actually, I probably still have about 20 minutes. It's so liberating. <laughs> We're looking at the upside-down kingdom. I didn't read it yet, did I? No, already. Are you waiting? <laughs> All right, we're going to read about the upside-down kingdom. And really, listen, the scripture, right? If there's, somebody once said, let the word do the work, right? I remember it from years ago. It, it must have been John Lancaster at seminary all those years ago. Let the word do the work. Why would you want to teach or preach something if somebody's doing it already in the scriptures here? Look at this. Right, 1 Corinthians 1, Paul writing to the church at Corinthia, Corinthia Corinth, sorry darling, thank you. And he's trying to explain to them this upside down kingdom. To preach the message of the cross seems like sheer nonsense to those who are on their way to destruction. Oh my gosh, have you got all day to talk about that? But to us who are on our way to salvation, it is the mighty power of God released within us. For it is written, I will dismantle the wisdom of the wise and I will invalidate the intelligence of the scholars. Does, is it beginning to sound like an upside-down kingdom? Okay. So where is the wise philosopher who understands? Where is the expert scholar who comprehends? And where is the skilled debater of our time who could win a debate with God? Can I read that bit again? Where is the skilled debater of our time who could win a debate with God? Isn't that wonderfully reassuring? I mean, I just, I'm sorry, I'm feeling a little bit show-offish about that. I'm showing off for God. God doesn't show off. You don't have to show off when you can breathe and a universe is created. I mean, let's face it. You know, so I'll show off. And where is the skilled debater of our time who could win a debate with God? Hasn't God demonstrated that the wisdom of this world system is utter foolishness? For in his wisdom, God designed all the world's wisdom would be insufficient to lead people to the discovery of himself. Oh my gosh, Scott, Pastor Scott, how deep and profound is that? I mean, come on. For in his wisdom, God designed that all the world's wisdom would be insufficient to lead people to the discovery of himself. We could talk about being anti-rationalist, but I don't know how well that would go down. He took great delight in baffling the wisdom of this world by using the simplicity of preaching the story of the cross in order to save those who believe it. For the Jews constantly demand to see miraculous signs, while those who are not... Jews constantly cling to the world's wisdom. But we preach the crucified Messiah. The Jews stumble over him. And the rest of the world sees him as foolishness. But for those who have been chosen to follow him, 
That's, that's interesting. I didn't see that before, Scotty. For those who have been chosen to follow him, both Jews and Greeks, he is God's mighty power, God's true wisdom, and our Messiah. For the foolish things of God have proven to be wiser than human wisdom. Does that sound like an upside-down kingdom? Come on now. Does it sound like an upside-down kingdom? The foolish things of God have proven to be wiser than human wisdom. And the feeble things of God have proven to be more powerful than any human ability. Don't miss that. Don't miss that, folks. The feeble things. Brothers and sisters, consider who you were when God called you to salvation. Not many of you were wise scholars by human standards. Go figure. Nor were many of you in positions of power. Not many of you were considered the elite when you, were, when you answered God's call. But God chose whom the world considered foolish to shame those who think they are wise. And God chose the puny and the powerless to shame the high and mighty. He chose the lowly, the laughable in the world's eyes. No, nobodies. So that he would shame the somebodies. For he chose what is regarded as, regarded as insufficient in order to supersede that which is regarded as prominent. Wow, how about that? So that there would be no place for prideful boasting in God's presence. For it is not from man that we draw our life, but from God, as we are being joined to Jesus. That's awesome preaching. For it is not from man that we draw our life, but from God, as we are being joined to Jesus, the anointed one. And now he is our God-given wisdom, our virtue, our holiness, and our redemption. And this fulfills what is written. If anyone boasts, let him boast only. Let him only boast in all that the Lord has done. Amen. Whew, that was a big old chunk of text, wasn't it? And it saves me in two hours of preaching, so you'll be glad. Okay. That's a... That's just awesome preaching, you know, the upside-down kingdom. Lord, help us. Could we say, Lord, could help us to get out of your way? I mean, sometimes. Isn't the best thing, have you not discovered that there are times when the best thing you can do is just get out of God's way? He doesn't always need your help. And he certainly doesn't need your natural thinking and your natural reasoning and your natural rationale to tell him how to build a supernatural kingdom. I mean, come on now. Come on. I asked the Lord where I was in that story. Feeding the 5,000. It really surprised me. Heather, it really surprised me. You know when he sneaks up on you? Oh, Lord, you're going to share some revelation with me for those folks. Oh, my gosh, I'm a horrible human being. You know? <laughs> he showed me in that story of feeding the 5,000. I said, oh, well, I'd like to think I'd like to think I was Andrew. At least he says, we've got some, we have some bread and fish. It's not a lot. I mean, he actually says it's not a lot, and I can't see how you could possibly feed all these people. I'd like to think I was him. Then I thought, well, I'd like to think I was Jesus, and I could offer thanks. You know, he's looking towards heaven giving thanks, and that's when the multiplication is taking place. I said, I'd like to think, oh, Lord, of course. How did I miss that? I'm the wee boy that gave his lunch. It's me, Lord. If I was in that crowd one day, I would have given 
the lad's lunch, as I call it, the lad's lunch. Because you know in, in the Gospel of John, this is the only story that's in all four Gospels, by the way, feeding of the 5,000. And John tells us one thing that the other three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, don't tell us. He said, oh, and by the way, it was a young lad. It was a young lad who gave, what does Pastor Gibble like to say, his happy meal. Right? He gave his happy meal. He loves that, doesn't he? He loves coming back to that happy meal. <laughs> I said, I know, I'm that guy, I'm the kid who gave his happy meal. I'd love to think that that day on that hillside when people are starving and Jesus, people are hungry. We do that, don't we? We miss two meals and it's like, I'm starving. You know, they're hungry. I'd like to think I was the lad who said, here's my lunch. Will, will that help? We're not told anything else about him. And then I said, Lord. And he said, no, you're not, you're not that. You're not, you're not Andrew. You're not Jesus. You're not the boy giving his lunch. He said, you're the bread. <laughs> he said that to me. He said, you're the bread and you're the fish. You're what I need to break, to multiply, to feed. And getting back to that story that Bahal Shalishah. Do you know what that means in English? It means God who multiplies. So in that story, the prophets, they're praying. Where's their food coming from? God brings somebody from an, an enemy's camp. That used to be called dust. It was just called uh, Shalishah. Somewhere along the way, they added Baal to the front of it. And I don't mean the pagans. I mean the people of God. If you look back in Numbers, you'll see that that city was given to Ephraim. You know, when they divided the land. They divided the land. And they were told which cities were theirs. That was called God who multiplies. Awesome. That was called Baal, Shalisha, the God who multiplies. But they added the Baal. It's really offensive. But from that town came a man of God who came to feed the prophets of God in the wilderness. See, it's an upside down kingdom. I mean, you know our God. Let me ask you a question. We're talking about the upside down kingdom. Let's talk about God's economy. Did I give you some examples of God's economy? I, I believe I did. One day they came to Jesus and they said, it's time for taxes. It's a good thing to come to Jesus when it's time for taxes, right? When you pay your taxes. And Jesus said, yeah, go and cast a line into the lake, pull out the fish, and the first fish opened its mouth. There was a coin in the fish's mouth, right? Don't you wish you could do that when you were fishing? Come on. I mean, I would actually take up fishing. If I could do that, I would take up fishing, you know. It's God's economy. It's God's economy to make things apparently smaller. And Paul just explained this to us in Corinthians, did he not? He's taken the weak and the foolish things. You see, it's really important, and I was struggling with this. It's really important that God gets the glory out of his work. It says work, after all, and we should let him do it his way. After all, and I was like, well, Lord, what's the big deal with the glory? And then he, sh and I was thinking, because God's not egotistical. God is completely self-sufficient. He doesn't need the glory you give him. Okay? We need him to get the glory that he gets when we do it his way. And the Lord showed me that. He said, the glory, receiving the glory for doing it God's way is about how we feel when we see that. And that's what these miracles are about. They're, they're, they're an outside miracle that really isn't important until it becomes an inside miracle. You see? Until you realize that God's, 
God, God's upside down kingdom becomes God's economy. This one time, a few months ago, we had a car sat on our driveway for about 10 days, 12 days. The alternator went, you know, the dreaded alternator. And it was sat there. We had two cars, and then somebody said to us one day, why are you driving around in one car? Because they were seeing us swapping over, getting out, in and out of the same car. And we said, well, the car's on the driveway with a, an alternator that's gone. Next thing I know, my mechanic's calling me. By the way, somebody just called me. I'm to put an alternator on your car. Isn't it awesome when people do this? I'm to put an alternator on your car and not to worry about it. We know who it was, of course. It was somebody from the fellowship. $562. I didn't have the money. The car sat on my drive. Listen, look at this. Look at all this. Okay? God's economy doesn't always make sense to us in the natural. So... God said to me, just yesterday, you sowed a jalopy and you reaped an alternator. And I'm like, I sowed a jalopy and I reaped an alternator. Do you use that word over here, jalopy, for a beat-up old car that probably needs to go to the scrapyard or something? Yeah, We call them jalopies. And I said, and then he reminded me. And I'm thinking about this alternator. I'm thinking about this alternator. <laughs> Better land the plane, Mama. I'm thinking about the alternator. What I'd forgotten was that 20 odd years ago, I gave a car to somebody. I wanted to trade the car in for another car that I was buying. They offered me like $1,000. I said, I'm not on your life. I'd rather drive it over a cliff. You know what they're like when you try and trade your car in? And then my friend said, you know, he, he had a job and he, he needed a car and he was tired of catching the bus. I was like, yay. God's economy, two and two. Let's make a, a divine equation out of this. You can have my car. So I gave him my car. That was like 20 odd years ago. Did you know that recently, did I tell you I reaped an alternator? But 20 years ago, I sowed a car. And I felt the Lord say to me that he never misses sowing and he never misses reaping. You see? And you can be sowing today, and it can be 10 years that you're going to reap from that thing that you do today. Your sowing and reaping is not in vain, young man. Your sowing and your reaping is not in vain. And the sowing and the reaping equates to harvest. And in your life, you, there is about to be a, an harvest. And you will see it, and you'll witness it, and you'll know that your sowing, your labors, your efforts, your energy, your commitment are not in vain. Sowing becomes reaping, and your sowing and reaping equate to a harvest, and you'll see it, and you'll know God is telling you ahead of time, ahead of time. I trust you'll say thank you to him. and I trust you'll say thank you to him. God's economy. So... Isn't that awesome to think you can sow something today and it might be 10 years you're reaping further along? <laughs> just gauging it. Just gauging. <laughs> Where are you in these stories? Right? We've talked about... And so God told me. God told me I'm the bread. And... The issue with us is, of course, is that in order to multi be multiplied, something has to be broken. 
See, multiplication comes out of breakage. And that's sometimes the reason that we don't get multiplied is because we don't want to be broken. And here's, if, you, if we're really wise, if we're really wise, whenever the world breaks us or we're broken, we'll bring our brokenness to God. Because he takes our brokenness and multiplies it. You see? And all of these miracles that you see, especially I never realized this, Elijah and Elisha, the miracles they performed were yes for the individuals, yes for the heart of God's kids, but they were also for the wicked pagans to see as well. Do you know what Baal means? The God of rain. Well, guess what? Elijah said it's not going to rain for three and a half years. Okay? So there's a famine and a drought, and God's people are cared for. And so the, the, the prophecies and the prophetic utterances and the actions, the prophetic actions, are smacking the face of Baal. Don't miss that. So it's wonderful miracles for the people of God because he feeds us and he loves us. It's wonderful miracles because he wants our hearts to be enlarged. He wants enlarged. Oh my gosh. Enlarged. He wants our hearts to be enlarged for more pour, to pour more of his love in. But also he performs miracles in this way to tell the, the idolatrous gods of the nations it's a smack in their face. Okay, so here's my favorite story. Oh, look, here's my quarter jar. $1.50. Oh, come on. $1.50 in my quarter jar. I've had this for a decade. I recently got it up to about $200. Do you know what $200 could buy you? Oh, smartwatch. <laughs> smartwatch. Okay. So, sewing, about 20 years ago, my wife bought me a beautiful painting. And it was expensive and it was a Vetriano. And uh, it was a print, by the way. And uh, I made her take it back because I've got to tell this story in a certain way. Because she said to me, if you don't tell that story the right way, I'm walking out. So she said... <laughs> I asked her to take it back. It wasn't the one I wanted. I wanted another one. And so she, I took it back. And I changed it. For two name, what do you call them, plaques? Name plaques? Guess who Christy is? Hey, Christy, that's you. Now, I, this is 20 odd years ago. Here, baby. That's Christy. And this is a Kimberly. I changed my painting that Miss Fiona bought me because it wasn't really the one I wanted. And I was in the store and I, and I didn't want to waste the money. So I said, please, could I trade it? And this is what they specialized in, Kimberly. Now, they have a love-hate relationship with these things. You know, the older they get, the less they love them. It's fair to say. So, <laughs> I want to tell you quickly, with my final minute, <laughs> I want to tell you, come on, who's going to work out the story? Somebody work out the rest of the story. Come on. How many of you know that faith is declaring in advance that you believe God for what he's saying he wants to do? Often we, we describe faith as looking back and saying, oh, that was an awesome thing God did back then. Well, yeah, you can understand it now. <laughs> but faith is actually agreeing with God in the moment, in this story. 
Do you know that 12 spies were sent into the promised land? The Lord reminded me of this yesterday. 12 spies were sent into the promised land. 10 of them came back with a negative account, report, a negative report. You know this story, right? It's one of the most popular Bible stories. Two of the spies came back with a very positive report. 10 were, we can't. Two were, we can. Okay? Where are you in this story? Where are you in any of these three stories? Because in these three stories, we see over and over again, somebody saying, we can't, we don't have enough. And then somebody saying, yes, we can, because God said so. And the truth is, if we were all spies right now, and by the way, we are all spies. You know we're in a foreign territory. We're in a spiritual kingdom, and the world out there doesn't agree with us. And it's coming for us, by the way. And it's not going to get any easier. They're not going to start thanking you suddenly for being a Christian that believes in one God, monotheistic, just, and one way to God. They might even allow you to believe there's one God, but they will not allow you to believe there's one way to God. Okay, so very soon, when we start realizing that we're spies spying out the land, we're going to have the opportunity to be in one of these two groups. You can be one of the ten that say, no, we can't. Or you can be one of the two who say, go ahead and do it because God said so. Right? Do you see it in all of those stories? I love it. twice in the Elijah and the Elisha story. They say they're 50 years apart and say the same thing. It will be so according to the word of the Lord. Right? And they, oh. Right, Scotty, don't let me forget that. Right? I just remembered I was telling you something about Elijah. So I was asking the Lord, why is Elijah so determined for this poor little lady to give her two crumbs of bread to him? Did you see in the story how, he, how assertive he was? She said, I can get you some water, but I don't have any bread. You've got bread. You've got this, shit, but this little piece of bread for my boy, and we're going to die soon because there's a drought and there's a famine. He says, bring that bread to me. And I'm saying, what's wrong with you, Elijah. She's an old woman with a kid to feed. And you're the prophet of the Most High God. But do you see what he's doing? He's determined to move her from a place of, we can't do it, we don't have enough, to a place where she says, I agree with the word of the living God. He's not after her bread. He doesn't want your measly piece of bread. He doesn't want your measly piece of fish. That you hoard and you hide and you keep for yourself for a rainy day. He doesn't want it. He wants you to give it to him so he can multiply it back to you. And your heart says, my God said it will be so according to the word of the Lord. That's the miracle that's taking place in these three stories. Not that he took your hunger away from your tummy for an hour. He wants your heart to say, I'm not in this camp anymore. Remember who God is. Remember what he's done for me in the past. I'm going to be those who stand up and say, may it be according to the word of the Lord. And you see that in all of those stories. And you see that you have the opportunity to be in one of those groups. So, 20 odd years ago, I took my Vetriano back because it wasn't the one I wanted. And I got these beautiful name plaques made by hand by this lady, which the kids loved until they got old and had senses of their own. And they were like, Dad, these are the little girls. So I'm driving up uh, the street behind my house. Is it Williamson Street? Babe? I'm driving up Williamson Street in my van the other day. And I went... What? What? Vetriano? Vetriano? I parked my van up. I parked my van up and somebody was moving out of their house. And part of a picture, I mean just like three inches of the picture, was sticking out from behind another picture. I went, 
Oh, we need this, don't we? But there it was. I said, not just a Vetriano, but the actual Vetriano that I wanted. And the Lord spoke into my heart. And of course, that's a material thing. And it moves my heart, and I got it for free, and I'll freely give it away. <laughs> but it was what the Lord spoke into my heart, Scotty. He said, I never miss sowing, and I never miss reaping. Okay? And so for all those years that I've been driving around thinking, Sure wish that I got my veteran over that day. <laughs> the Lord was waiting for the moment when he would pour out his Holy Spirit from heaven. Sowing becomes reaping, becomes harvesting. Yeah. It's the miracle inside of us that's really important, Pastor Scott. We're often looking for the miracle outside. The real transition, the transaction, the transformation is in our hearts when we decide to agree with God. Upside down kingdom, God's economy, which one of the spies are you? There's always more left. Now I have to say, this is what Pastor Gil does when he wants you to think he's finishing. I have to say... (laughs) I have to say, I did, I asked the Lord about that. Why 12 baskets left? Did you see in all three of the stories, they were were left for more than they started with? The jar was always full. There was always enough in the jar. Um, It was multiplied and there was some left. And then for the disciples, there were 12 basketfuls left. And I kept looking at that and saying, Lord, 12 basketfuls. You started off with five fish and... Five loaves and two fish. How did they end up with 12 basketfuls left? And I'm like, there's got to be relevance in that. Right? This is the, and the Lord showed me, because he does, because I have to learn these things. Well, the first thing he showed me was that Jesus isn't wasteful. Right? He could have left all of, the, he could have left all of the, that stuff on the mountainside. Right? I mean, I mean you know that he, this is the Jesus when he had a million people walking through the wilderness. He, he could send a flock of quail to land in their camp. Remember that? We want to go back to Egypt. At least we had cucumbers there. Really? See them again? Which camp are you in? That's what they said. We want to go back to Egypt. They gave us cucumbers. Really? I'm God Almighty. I'm sending you a flock of quail. You know the quail that you want to buy when you go to a restaurant, but it's like 68 bucks? You know, that kind of quail. So you have the choice. Go back to Egypt for your cucumber or stay with the Lord and have quail land in your camp. He could cause water to come from a rock. They were really thirsty. He said, Moses, grab that staff and strike that rock and... Perrier water will flow out of it until I tell it to stop. He caused manna to cover the ground. That's bread, by the way, with honey on it. That's the closest that theologians can come to explaining manna. That every morning they'd get up and the whole camp was covered on the ground. Honey on bread. That's all they agree about. It was some kind of honey on bread. Or toast or, you know, bread again. That's our saviour. He's not wasteful. I said, Lord, and I really am really, really landing this plane. Immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. I think it was a living example of Jesus showing them the very disciples that said to him, Master, send them away. 
You know there's a Walmart in that part of the county. You know there's a Target over there. Send them away now and they'll get there before it's dark. See the natural solution? What do we like when it comes to solving problems? Don't we love the natural solutions? Why don't you ask for a supernatural solution? It's a living example of God being able to do immeasurably more than they can ask or imagine. They started off with five loaves, two fish, fed 5,000 and have 12 basketfuls left. Now, how is that for your natural mind? Come on, your natural mind should be hurting right now, trying to work that out. And the Lord said to me, Scotty, thank you, Lord, that's what I was waiting for. We are the broken bread in this story. We are the broken fish. And all we have to do do is agree with the Lord. It will be so according to the word of the Lord. I'm willing to be broken. I'm willing for the world to mock me and ridicule me. Because on the outside, we're not elite. I tell you what, though, we're elite to God. And we're elite in the kingdom of God. The world doesn't view us as elite. So let's agree with God that we're willing to be broken. So that we can see his glory come. So that the outside miracle becomes an inside miracle. Okay? And that we can see immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. When we're willing to be broken, to be multiplied. Each of the disciples got a basket each, Miss Heather. Each of the disciples got a basket each. I said to Fiona, Fiona, what, what, what does this mean? God was saying to those disciples who said, we can't do it. It's getting late. Send them away. He's saying, here's a basket for you to look at. Sit down and meditate on that basket full of food. Each of you 12 disciples who said it couldn't be done, sit down and meditate on your own basket full of bread and fish. Do you get it? Do you get it? Yeah? All right. All right, thank you, bud. You should start playing. I'm putting the lid on the crock pot. <laughs> All righty. Who's going to pray for us? Who's going to pray for us? Just pray a prayer for us, sweet lady. you Jesus thank you father for this marvelous message Lord give us give us your faith give us a multiply our faith right now father multiply our faith to believe your word for anything we need anything we need today Lord anything we want in in the desires of our hearts Lord you multiply to us Lord and we thank you Lord Jesus for making all this possible for making all this possible on the cross your, mo- your love was multiplied by the number of people born, a number of people ever born, Lord. Your love was multiplied to each one of us. And we thank you for it. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. There's people here who want to pray and people here who want to be prayed for. Alrighty, so come on now. This is our moment. This is what the word of the Lord leads us to. Response. Okay, move to action. Yes, I'm moved by that word. I'm going to act. Come on now. Who's going to pray for us? Are you a praying man? Come on, sir. Pray for us, please, brother. Let's pray for us right now. Father God, we come to you, Father God, in the name of Jesus.
Jesus, Father God, bless us all. Thank you for the blessings, Father God. You know all of our needs, Father God. And I just want to come to you and just bow down, Father God. Give you the love, Father God, we all, that you give us all. Listen, folks, you can at least say amen, okay? Don't hide looking at me. Come on now. We're the body of Christ. What makes you think I can pray any better than any of you? I can tell you now, most of you pray better than me. Come on. Is that Noah up there? Where's Noah? Where's Noah? Is that Noah up there? Noah, come from behind that laptop. Uh, God, thank you for this message that was delivered by uh, Pastor Dean. Uh, Lord, whatever we got from it, uh, both individually and what you spoke to us, uh, let it just let us be able to apply it to our life, Lord, and allow it to change uh, the way we think, the way we act, Lord. And um, yeah, in Jesus' name, Amen. say for uh, Miss Rosetta, there's an increased authority coming upon your intercession. That in this world there are actions that God wants to perpetrate there, and there are prayers that marry up with those actions. And I believe that the Lord is saying to you in these days increasingly, there's a more of an anointing upon your intercession and there's more of a revelation of how your prayers are married to his actions and his actions are married to your prayer life. You receive that from the Lord. Amen. Good then. This lady here, this lady came out of Africa, out of Liberia, out of a civil war where they lined people up and killed them in front of her. She came here with barely the clothes on her back. Now she's happily married with beautiful children, a wonderful home, loving the Lord in the freest land in, on the earth. Amen. We thank the Lord for that. He's still setting people free. Miss Rosetta, you want to say thank you for that right now. Say thank you. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for you are faithful, mighty God. And I just bless you. Thank you, Lord, for being a mighty God, being our Savior, the lover of our souls. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Master, for saving our lives. Thank you for Jesus, your Son, die on the cross for our sins. Thank you for the freedom that we have in you, O oh God. We give you all the glory, all the praise for who you are. In Jesus' powerful name with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. Okay, folks, we're winding down, if that's possible. Because you know when you leave that door, you're going into the mission field, right? Do we? Somebody say yes. When you leave that door out there, you're entering the mission field. I was in a church once where they had that over the door on the inside. You are entering the mission field. And so as you passed out, you'd look up and be reminded. Come on now. Be broken. Be multiplied. Feed the multitudes. Give God the glory. Agree with him. Upside down kingdom. God's economy. We're in the camp that says it will be according to the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks again for listening. 
To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.